Welcome to God's Planning, Contemplative Preachers, Contemporary Age. Each week, join the Dominican Friars as they consider all things Catholic. Welcome to God's Planning. I'm Father Gregory Pine here in Washington, D.C., and I'm joined by my classmate, Father Joseph Anthony Cress, who's come up from the University of Virginia. How are things going, Father Joseph Anthony? Not too bad. I think this is at least my first episode where we're like in quote unquote studio together, right? Like <laughs> not just staring at each other on computer screens. So good yes. to finally be physically together mm. in your presence. Yeah. As, as blessed are the, uh, the joys of internet telephony, greater, greater blessings indeed are held in store for those who see face to face. I believe that's from the second letter to the Romans, uh, chapter 12, verse three. Um, that's St. Paul right there. So, um, <laughs> We're here in Washington, D.C. We are uh, kind of together recording for the first time in the in situ in the same place. And uh, let's see, things that are exciting, uh, kind of wrapping up the fall semester, looking towards yep. Christmas. Yep. Uh, how are things at the University of Virginia? How are things at St. Thomas Aquinas? It's good. It's good. Uh, we're in the midst of building a new church. So right now they're putting on copper roof. Mm. So it's uh, shiny, mm. which, I, which is nice. Uh, but we're... The things there are progressing really, really well. Um, semester is kind of coming to a close. Um, we have maybe like one more week worth of classes and then moving into finals. And then it's all, everybody runs away for Christmas. So it's it's amazing how quickly everything goes. And um, But we're excited to start next semester and we're starting with a new student leadership team and, and the kind of um, excitement that comes with, uh, you know, new students stepping into leadership roles, uh, along with the new, uh, calendar year. So good stuff, good stuff all the way, all the way around. Here's a question. How often do people ask you when the church is going to be done? Oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> so many times a day. It's okay. like every single conversation, uh, with random strangers, anybody on the street in this city, they're like, Oh, you're building that new church. When's it going to be done? Mm. Parishioners every time after mass, when's this going to get done? Mm. Yeah, not soon enough. <laughs> I bet. I mean, that makes you kind of have like a certain sympathy with pregnant mothers mm-hmm. because I get the, I bet you they get kind of used to answering the same few questions. Like, is it a boy or a girl? When are you due? Does the, have you named the baby? And at a certain point, like I, I suspect that they get frustrated, especially if they're like Catholic mothers or they're in the, uh, the supermarket and they already have like three children with them. And people are like, are you, you know, that like you should, I mean, you could stop, you know? So it's, there's the, the added frustration in that regard. But yeah. Uh, so when is the church going to be done? A favorite question of all those involved. Um, how about next semester? Things looking forward to for uh, Catholic student, um, Association, are you guys taking a mission trip over spring break, or is there a big retreat queued up, or any pilgrimages? Yeah, so uh, we have a few uh, spring break mission trips uh, coming up. Some of our focused missionaries are leading trips internationally. Uh, we got two international trips, and then we have three domestic trips this upcoming spring break. So those are those are exciting. Those are always uh, big transformative uh, experiences for our students to kind of serve Christ in the poor, uh, both domestically and abroad. Uh, and then we're also, uh, we did a pilgrimage last year, and we're uh, bringing it back. Uh, we're going to Poland the, over the summer. We extended it a little bit, so it's going to be like a 16 or 18-day pilgrimage. Uh, in the footsteps of Maximilian Kolbe, St. Faustina, and St. John Paul II. So a lot of hiking, uh, a lot of hanging out in Krakow. So those are kind of the big things that we're gearing up for and just, you know, general day-to-day encounters with Jesus. Yeah, that's awesome. Okay, there's another thing, though, that's 
that has happened and that continues to happen at the yeah. University of Virginia. Mm-hmm. As, a, as a fan of the Philadelphia Eagles, I know the joy that lies in store for those who win a national championship of sorts and uh, how very delightful it can be to rest on your laurels until such time as said championship rolls around the next year. So you're still basking in the, uh, in the glory of having secured for yourselves a national title. What's it's, that like? It's a beautiful thing. <laughs> <laughs> it is uh, just, I, I try to weave it into every conversation. Mm. You know, I yeah. like, I would like a, to a Big Mac and a national championship. Oh, wait, I already have the national championship. <laughs> no, granted, I did nothing to, to win, but it's, be, it's great to be a part of that. I went to, um, went to a game last week, a uh, home basketball game, and to see the national championship banner. And then they have the entire uh, center piece of the uh, court that they won the championship on with the gigantic mm. logo just hanging in the arena so it's awesome um that night was like i was at the watch party in charlottesville and just the amount of joy and joyness and <laughs> and joyfultivity joyfultivity yeah yeah, yeah yeah that was in the city i mean it was just it was just such a big party everybody was excited from you know grandfathers with their grandsons to college students to everybody was just literally flooding the streets celebrating mm. hugging each other is <laughs> i mean and also like the way that we won from you know losing the previous year as a number one seed losing to the 16 seed in the first round mm. and then to come back and go through win the entire thing is it's a story for sure yeah okay so basketball is a big thing at the university Huge. of virginia uh, you're the Catholic chaplain of the University of Virginia. Does basketball enter into your ministerial life with any frequency? Is this something that like comes up, or is it like a side hustle? Um, I mean, it's it's such a huge part of our students' lives, mm-hmm. um, and so much of the university life uh, ends up being um, focused towards you know the basketball court and our, our men's basketball team, and then they they draw a lot from it as well like the students really um i think the biggest celebrity at the university of virginia is coach tony bennett mm. i mean he gets more cheers when he walks out of the uh, locker room than the than the team does wow um and how he has built that team the pillars of the team the university has like the student body has adopted as their own and they're um it's really important to see how that how the a, a program, a basketball team that's built upon integrity, humility, thankfulness, um, self-sacrifice, and gratitude, how that has such a positive impact across the entire student body now. It's really important to see. That's awesome. I mean, does um, I don't know much about Coach Tony Bennett, but does he have a reputation for being an upstanding man and for forming upstanding men? Yeah, absolutely. He, um, there's... A few years ago, there was a FBI investigation into bribery within the college basketball ranks, and it hit a number of top programs. And um, University of Virginia, there was there was nothing there because everybody was like, "No, Coach Bennett runs a clean program." Mm-hmm. You know, he repeatedly will pass on top recruits because they're not willing to. Um, kind of humble themselves to be taught, humble themselves to be coached in a system, making the sacrifices that are necessary. Um, and so he, he has that as a core identity is to build a team of integrity and to help these, um, you know, really high school boys mature into men through the, through a sport, mm-hmm. you know, that's his main goal. And it's really important to see that. That, that's interesting. Like, I know, um, okay, again, as a Philadelphia Eagles fan, different sport, you know, professional, whatever, just deal. Um, 
I think often like Doug Peterson passes on free agents and on trade opportunities because he sees them as potentially difficult in the locker room. Mm-hmm. So like when the Eagles were having secondary issues, people were like, they should pick up Jalen Ramsey, but Jalen Ramsey's kind of a head case. And so Doug Peterson did nothing. And then when they're having wide receiver issues, people are like, they should pick up Antonio Brown or they should, you know, pick up Josh Gordon. And no, Doug do Peterson it. does yeah. not do that because they are either a head case or, you know, like currently in domestic violence allegations or, you know, abusing drugs, things like that. So, like, on the one hand, the coach is kind of like the gatekeeper, so he keeps out people from a locker room who could potentially be toxic or could kind of um, set the team against each other. But on another, I mean, on the other hand, he's also forming these men. So, like, there's a sense in which, you know, you take something, but you see that that something can become a better something, and then you, you, you don't take other things because you think that it could throw off the whole... So in what way, I mean, like, so in what way can a coach kind of like train up me? Like, what, what is he trying to instill in them? What virtues is he trying to kind of call forth? Um, how, I mean, like, to speak loosely, in what way is like a coach's role somewhat, uh, you know, like, is it is it mentorship? Is it kind of like a ministry of sorts? How would you describe it? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Of course. No, I think there's something really, really uh, profound and special, especially when we're talking about um, male sports. There are uh, men who are in uh, sports and, and part of teams that there's something that's really um, cries out to the masculine identity. And it's something that um, the author Chuck Paluniak, who uh, was the author of Fight Club, you know, no, numerous books, but like... Wait, we don't talk about... Oh. That's rule number one. My bad. Yeah, keep going. Sorry. Um, he had he had this really awesome interview on a podcast once where he they, were, they asked him, like, why does Fight Club have such a staying power? You know, like, it has a shelf life for generations of men. And he's like, well, it speaks to... Um, it presents a model of masculinity that men will walk away from that movie or that book and start to talk about. You know, very often they don't see a model that's presented and then follow up and just talk like, is that my experience? Is that something I want to strive for or not? And one of the things that he mentioned is that um, there's this desire for men. Um, every man has a natural father. We all know that every man has a father, whether he knows who that man is or um, doesn't know, or whether if he does know who he is, whether he was a good man or not, we all know we have a natural father, but at a certain point, you have to hit the next stage of life where you mature and grow in that masculinity and that has to be taught. Mm -hmm. And so men tend to take on a second father figure Mm -hmm. in their life. And, um, it's often like a a teacher, a a scout master, a religious leader, uh, a coach is primarily where that second father figure comes into play. And so, um, that's where I think um, for for many uh, men are starting to learn masculine traits um, and start to learn virtue and see it exemplified is by their athletic coaches. And that's where, you know, we can look at our current state of life in the world, especially here in the United States. And the number one religion, I think, by far is sports. Mm. Right. And who are the leaders that are teaching men what it means to be a man of integrity um, and that aspect that those are the coaches. And so you have to look at how a, how a coach approaches that role, you know, it is really, really important. Do they see him see that role as somebody who is imparting wisdom 
to a younger generation? Um, are they seeing them entering into mentorship-based uh, relationships with their players? Or is this something, I'm going to push you to the limits so I can break you and get the, the best athletic feats from you? Mm-hmm. Like that's a, that's a really different change there. And yeah. That's it. Like, so um, I'm not uh, a good athlete, but I played sports of various stripes here and there. And um, the men whom I respected most, or the men for whom I wanted to step out most, were one, men of integrity, and two, called for a kind of integrity. Um, so I had a cross-country coach in college, excuse me, high school. Well, both of them, high school and college, both excellent men. Um, and they demanded of you, uh, one, like your best performance, but not like in a compartmentalized way. They wanted to see that you were flourishing, right? They wanted to see you do yeah, well in your yeah, school. Yeah. They wanted to see you do well at home and with your friends. They wanted to see you do well, you know, like morally to the extent that they could actually dictate those terms. You know, like any other high school boys, you know, there were some guys on a team who might make morally dubious decision, you know, with like, I don't know, adult beverages. <laughs> and, um, so, you know, maybe these guys are really excellent runners and maybe the fate of our team kind of hinges on whether or not they participate. But, you know, the coach reports, the coach disciplines, the, ch- the coach makes the necessary suspensions in order to like show that what is it that we prize here? Yeah. You know, it's not, well, like not merely following the rules, but what we prize here is like growth of integrity. What we prize here is the training up of men who can, you know, be a generation of good fathers, good priests, good whomever. Speaking of which, your name is Father Joseph Anthony Cress. It's not Coach Joseph Anthony Cress. Yeah. But yep. would you say that there are like some parallels between you know coaching and being a priest, or maybe things that can translate more broadly into just like being a good father in general? Absolutely. I mean, one of the best things that happened to me in the last three years, roughly two and a half years that I've been at uh, UVA as a chaplain, um, is I. I've gotten to know one of the uh, assistant coaches on the team and we, we catch up every now and then. And one of the things that uh, we were talking once is we were having discussions about leadership, you know, how, how to lead uh, students and how to lead other, uh, you know, staff and things like that. And he said, listen, father, like I'm a coach, you know, I can teach them skills on the court, but you have, you have the greatest responsibility is to coach and teach them life skills to teach them virtue how to like I can teach them how to how to run a defense you know but you're supposed to you're in the role to teach them how to be virtuous men and how to defend themselves and their families against uh you know all the the temptations that life throws at you and from that discussion I really started to kind of look into like philosophy of coaching and um understanding kind of that coach's mentality uh, and starting to, you know, live my priesthood and my ministry along of, well, how do I coach people to live this life well um, is is extremely important. So, like, that was one of the best, like, kind of turning moments uh, in the last few years is to, for at least me, because it, it was able to kind of tie up a lot of loose ends for me and give me the uh, kind of motion and the motivation and say, okay, this makes sense and I can enter into a little bit of a, a coaching mentality uh, as, as a chaplain to affect and, and help our men and our students uh, grow in virtue in that sense. So yeah, it's been huge for me um, in, in that sense. This, this is interesting and uh, I'd like to come back to this. We're gonna take a short break and we'll, uh, we'll catch you on the other side. This is God's Planning. Get up to date on all our latest episodes. 
at opeast.org slash godsplaining. Okay, so we're talking about coaching here on Godsplaining. Thanks again for joining us. Thanks for sticking with it. Um, and specifically about how a coach is, um, you know, like in a certain regard, a coach is, is calling forth from those he coaches um, an excellence which hasn't yet come to the fore, or he's training them in this, that, or the other way, or he's educating them in a certain sense. I think like they're, they're just like a variety of coaching figures on offer. Yeah. There are coaches yeah. in different sports whom we admire, but, but a lot of them just look very different. So you've got like your Brad Stevens, you know, Boston mm-hmm. Celtics, who's kind of known in the business as a brainiac. Or you've got your Greg Popovich, who's just known in the business as surly, you know, a man for whom guys step up, but, but you're not going to get along with. Or you've got your Bill Belichick's, you know, who, oh, yeah. who, who just tell you to show up and do your job. There is no emotional input. There is no coddling to be spoken of. And if you are a tailback, unless you're James White, you're going to be gone in less than three years because he just doesn't give a rip about skill positions no. except for one quarterback and mm-hmm. two wide receivers. And if he's got one, a tight end. Yeah. You know, So yeah. like, he, here's a guy who's just going to drive people into the ground. It's like a corporate meat market championship factory. Okay, So we're talking about what it means to be a good coach, and yet we're cognizant of the fact that this comes in various expressions, if those men are all to be described as good coaches. This comes in various expressions. So, like, in what sense is, like, can we can we talk about a standard of good coaching? To what extent is it based on your personality? So, like, I don't know, what, what, what you've seen with this assistant coach or in your experience more broadly? Yeah, I think... Um Basically, you can you can categorize all coaches on, on two categories. Um, there's transactional coaches, right? And those are the coaches who um, are looking to gain in some respect. And so, um, I mean, just very bluntly, it's, it's basically coach first, team second, player third. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're going to push that player to such great lengths and extents to get the most athletically out of them so that the team can succeed and once the team succeeds they succeed right and so it's all about that kind of transaction so the coach has really something to offer he does you know he can pull um the best quote-unquote athletic capacity out of this um out of this student um but the student has has is taken from you know, it's, it's his athletics uh, skill that is taken from in order to, um, you know, give, um, I don't know, give rise to the, to the coach and things like that. And so we see a lot of transactional coaches in the sense that it's very, um, there's a lot of um, degrading that goes on mm-hmm. in practices, you know, in order to, quote unquote, push the person to the next level. Um, in order to get the most out of them. You have to motivate by degrading them or other people around them. And I think that's unfortunately the, a common experience um, for youth in America. Um, I think the other, uh, other type of coach is um, a transformational coach. And a lot of this is coming out of a book by uh, Joe Erlman, former NFL player wrote inside out coaching and he makes this distinction, which is I think very, very important to understand. And a transformational coach is one who focuses on the individual player mm-hmm. and he pushes them, builds them up because the competition isn't about them against the world. It's about them conquering their own weaknesses and growing in spite of those weaknesses, learning to sacrifice, learning to be a part of something greater um, learning teamwork in, in those things in that a transformational coach is essentially not based on talent 
or um, success or trophies, but a transformational coach is based on relationships. Mm -hmm. And I think that's extremely important because we can start to look at um, that's essentially what the heart desires of every person, Mm -hmm. you know, men and women, all of us are, are built for relationship. And so to remove that from something that is very common in America, which is sports, to remove that and to replace it with only athletic prowess is extremely detrimental and uh, damaging to the to the person. So like, all right, so here's an initial thought. Like a lot of us are in relationships which involve us receiving from another person. Um, but in order to want to receive, it takes a kind of subtlety on the, per- on the side of the person giving. Okay, so we're talking about coaching, but you can apply this into like any mentorship type relationship mm-hmm. or in a ministerial type setting or even in just like friendships where the two persons aren't equally yoked per se. Okay, so I think like a lot of people find it difficult if they feel that there's an inequality or if they feel like the other person is condescending to them yeah. or if they feel like the other person doesn't actually have their best kind of end in mind. Like like it's not sufficient just to be concerned because we've all been in these places, you know, like you go to work at a soup kitchen mm-hmm. and then you observe the supervisor who might be like, you know, kind of new at the job and they're trying to communicate their concern for the men who are coming through the line just by like kind of putting on a dour face and speaking in a simpering tone. It's yeah. like that's yeah, not... Yeah. That's not, that's not it, you know, like, and when you do that to me or to them, I think it causes revulsion rather than like a real buy-in. So it's not sufficient just like to be concerned. In the case of a coach, you, they also, the, 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 the player has to recognize that the coach is competent, right? That he yeah. not only has his best interest in mind, but can bring him to the next level. But like, all right, so let's like, to kind of like broaden the discussion, let's translate some of these insights beyond. So like, how is it that whether you're in a relationship like you're a school counselor or you're a priest or you're whatever you're 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 exercising some kind of mentorship how is it that you can get buy-in from um you know like the student from the the mentee from the the athlete how is it that you communicate that this is worthwhile so that they can in turn you know see it as such i think the first thing to at least the way that i've started to switch things in in my own ministry and my own priesthood is I've seen the parallels between transactional um, coaches and event-based ministries mm. compared to transformational coaches and like a personal relationship-based ministry. If we do events, and everybody does them, mm-hmm. right? We, we have to do things, right? But the goal isn't to just simply do things. You yeah. know, the events that we do are to foster relationships. Yeah. and foster encounters and so if we do a weekly dinner right it's not just how many people show up and how many how many plates did i shove out the door you know in these students hands but it's am i using that as an opportunity to encounter another person to sit with them to meet them to build that relationship right um and i think that's part of where um the buy-in happens with this mentality but off of athletic fields mm-hmm. right it's easy to talk about how you can build this up within sports but when you're trying to translate this over into maybe a ministerial context it's about um just showing up to these events and doing these events but not treating them like a numbers-based event-based i want to get the most quote-unquote numbers because that's where my success is mm-hmm. but it's more about how am i building up these relationships and how am i building up um this opportunity to allow this person to trust me mm-hmm. 
so that if I do need to push them and, and tell them, hey, you know what, maybe you should stop partying on Friday, Saturday nights before you come to mass on Sunday morning, you know, like that's going to be done out of a relationship of trust because one, I've shown up and I've treated them like a human being, like an individual who has dignity is worth it, even in the midst of a crowd. Mm-hmm. And I haven't focused just on the numbers, but I've focused on them as an individual. And that's, that's where that change has to happen. So I have a thought. It's related. It'll sound like out of left field initially, but I promise that it'll make sense in the end. I was reading this thing by a guy, his last name's Pinkoff, it's called Quandary Ethics, and he was making this point about moral theology. He was saying that like a lot of time, we expend our energy trying to figure out how to make the right decision, right? Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of emphasis placed on individual discrete moments in one's life. Like if you have an option to do X or Y, like which should you do and under what circumstances? But he says if, if we kind of get overly focused or if we get like myopically kind of like short-sightedly trained on these types of decisions then we lose sight of what moral life is for in general which is about happiness right which is about growing in virtue exercising the gifts of the holy spirit cultivating a relationship with the lord and 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 that can kind of get pushed to um you know, it can get pushed to the side or trivialized. And then we begin to think of our lives in terms of discrete things. So like a lot of us, I'm sure have had the, like the, um, opportunity. A lot of us have had the experience where somebody asks you how you're doing and then you start to list the stuff that you have to do. It's like, listen, man, that's not what I asked you. Like that's, I didn't, I didn't, and I do this. I'm not just saying that other people do this. I certainly do this. It's like, now I will give you my updated CV. It's just like, who cares? Right. But like when, when people ask you how you're doing, that's an, that's an occasion for, like you said, like an encounter where you can, you know, find some like things of common interest with this person and have an experience whereby you kind of like unpack your life together. And that doesn't mean to say that every encounter has to be like so emotionally fraught and heavy, but like rather than thinking about decision-making as just a matter of like doing the right thing, you know, it's something that just takes place over the course of the life and that we gradually unpack together as friends. I've come to find that like, I don't, I don't so much make sense of stuff beforehand, right? Maybe this is just me testifying to the fact that I do things by flying off the handle, but I don't make sense of them so much beforehand as I kind of do them. And then in conversation with friends afterwards downstream, I'll be able to unpack that. And I think that like what you're talking about with transformational kind of like coaching or relationships in general, it kind of, it, it has a similar inspiration. It has to. And I mean, that, that that extremely important aspect of like talking about things downstream is is clutch um i mean i'm a i'm a very verbal processor you know <laughs> i i have to be able to like call up somebody and be like hey this just happened like and then walk through it and and say like also like this is how i experienced it like this this is um this is my emotions and this is what i'm working through this is how i process that because um just to have this kind of very, um, I don't know, sanitized, like get in, get out, mm-hmm. um, go in, do what I have to, uh, you know, build up my, um, X, Y, and Z, and then I'm done. And that's one of the things that, um, this other aspect of, of coaching is like, it's not extracurricular, it's co-curricular within the education system. And it's like, I think sometimes we, we look at, at least ministry-based stuff is like okay, well, you, you're in class for this many this many hours a day. You're doing this other club, and here's this club here. That these are the extracurriculars. Well, it's actually no. This is the heart that makes all those other things worth it. Mm-hmm. And we have to start thinking more in that um, integrated mentality of it's not anything that's extracurricular. These are all co-curricular. And how is that? How's what 
we do here in teaching virtue, in teaching the moral life, in, in pursuing truth, how is that going to fuel and motivate your um, endeavors outside? But yeah. how are they also going to be in line with them? That they're not competing against each other in that sense. Yeah, and it seems to me that like an integrated approach to these kinds of relationships would help bring about, like you said, like an integrated approach to life. Yeah. So rather than thinking of one's life as, you know, so many different subgenres or divisions or like competencies, you think about it as a life, you know, and the Lord's blessed you with certain things in the order of nature and in the order of grace. Um, and you're made to, to make known, to manifest those gifts, right? The Lord has, has created you to say something unique about his divine life, um, about the glory of God. And that you do so insofar as you embrace, you know, you consent to those things as given. And then, you know, you cooperate with them as they unfold. And so, like, in these relationships, you have the freedom to, to live your life accordingly or to kind of grow into your life accordingly rather than thinking, like, I will develop this capacity. And on oh, the man. side, I will develop this capacity. Yep. And on the side, I will develop this capacity. That, that just leads to being fractured, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Worn out and uh, exhausted. Like, this is why everybody looks like they have this, like, not just because it's super rainy today, but this like gray gaze in over their face. It's just like, cause they're so fractured. Yeah. They have to be on a hundred percent here on a hundred percent here on it. And it's just, you can't do that. Yeah. I guess like, I mean, I suppose it might just end up being a long way of saying that the life is about people, not so much about doing the things, you know, yes. doing the things is an essential feature of being for people. Because when you show up for people, right. you know, it means doing the things that they ask of you or think, anticipating the things that they would ask of you or just generally like doing things with them because that's the type of exercise that draws you closer together and draws you closer to the Lord. But effectively, it's about, you know, it's about the people. <laughs> it's about those whom the Lord has put in your life and loving them as well uh, as God gives you the grace to do. So, yeah, from coaching to love, that's uh, that's a pretty broad sweep. But I feel like Put that on your gravestone. Yeah, there you Coaching go. To love, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I but I feel like we've we've covered some territory, and I'm delighted by by how the conversation developed. So, Father Joseph Anthony, thank, thank you. you. Yeah, cheers, and uh, thank you to our listeners for joining us again here on God's Planning. Please like, share, uh, and uh, go ahead and recommend it to your friends. And we'll look for you the next time when we get you next week. Cheers. Thanks for listening to God's Planning, a work of the Dominican Friars of the Province of St. Joseph. Visit us at opeast.org.